everybody, Beth Wee in the studio. Today we're going to talk about shame. Shame is something that comes from long ago, usually. It's, it starts from our childhood, and it's false beliefs, but they're beliefs nonetheless, so we act on them. You know, Charles Darwin said that shame is the emotion that distinguishes humans from all other animals. He, he looked at blushing. No other animal blushes with embarrassment. And then if I go to Nitschke, he said, shame is the source and safeguard of all spirituality. That's something. So let me go a little bit closer to home. There's a woman in my, in my town who does workshops, and her name is Sasha Zebrick. And I remember I was at one of her workshops, and she put a collar on someone in the room. And the collar said, make me feel important. That was an incredible teaching because pretty much everybody we ever will meet or see has that collar. Not everybody wears it every day, but most of us do. So what is shame? I, I think if I could put it in a nutshell, it's sort of an inner experience of feeling like you're unwanted uh, or that you don't belong. The, the desire to belong was put in us by creation. It's, it's a desire that helps us build community. It's a desire that helps the human race succeed. So when you get the negative side of that, where you feel like you don't belong, even if it's just for an instant, that might be what shame is. Um, you know, when I think about that, I think of other words like I'm inconsequential, I'm deficient, I'm unimportant, I'm useless, insignificant, lacking. Whatever it is, the dictionary tells me that shame means disgrace, embarrassment. Hmm. When I break the word up, because you know how I love to break words up, dis means apart from, and and, and so um, it's apart from grace, disgrace, apart from grace. Hmm. I think shame is self-talk, but I think it's based on something we learned while interacting with other people. That's why I think shame came from outside of us. I believe guilt is an inner compass. I think guilt is a great emotion. It tells me when I've left my own moral values and I'm surfing and I feel bad about it. Um, but shame, shame might be false evidence appearing real, that little acronym we have for fear. It's more like I'm bad. I don't fit. Uh, the square peg in the round hole thing. I don't know. There's a wonderful writer. His name is John Bradshaw, and he's done a lot of studies on shame. He's, he's pretty much dedicated his life to helping people overcome shame. Uh, years ago, I read his book, Healing the Shame That Binds You. And he, he said in that book that there's good shame and bad shame. And he calls the bad shame toxic shame. Just think of that. Good shame he calls healthy shame. And that the healthy shame helps us develop. 
it helps us fit into society because we realize when we're working against community. But the toxic shame is when we personalize those bad efforts, when we do miss the mark and we personalize it. Um, it's, it's an important thing. It's crucial for this, the development of self-worth because healthy shame embraces Bradshaw's theory that we are a we before we are an I. You get what I mean? Like when you're a little baby, you need people to take care of you if you are going to survive and thrive. So you were a we before you could become an I. And the I grows with you. And part of the way it grows is with what Dr. Bradshaw calls healthy shame. He has a new uh, book out called, the, or newer book, it's called The Family. And he looks a little bit more closer, closely at some of these ideas that he's had. Uh, I love his quote. I, I quote him, healthy shame gives us permission to be human. So it's a, it's a natural progression to grow up in community. And shame kind of steers us so that we grow up able to meet the needs of others and have our own needs met. But there are some times that toxic shame appears. Uh, there's four, four important family types. So I'm going to speak to each one of those briefly today. And, and you can identify or not. But these are, again, ideas brought by John Bradshaw, and I'm just kind of summarizing them to get you on the road to recovery and to find your truth and not live in your shame. Um, the first family is the neglecting family. In this household, there's, uh, there's little clue that somebody is valued. It's not a given that you're valued. Sometimes you don't even feel like they know you exist. When attempting to connect, a child is sometimes met with little or no response. Since we're instinctively driven for this social connection, when this need is unmet, we develop a belief that there's something wrong with us. We blame ourselves. We take responsibility by you know, believing that we're just not valuable. And this shame roots itself really deeply. And our default setting returns us to the false belief that we don't matter. Whenever we feel lonely or abandoned, whenever we feel set apart, we immediately go to the belief that we don't matter. We have no value. Some people that go through this become risk junkies. They don't even try to connect with others. Um, they choose relationships with people that will hurt them because hurt is preferable to neglect. It's very sad when you think about it. Um, people that have had workaholic parents, or maybe the primary caregiver had depression, or maybe you were brought up by a nanny and your parents were some distant person that you were supposed to respect, but you didn't really know. That's family number one. So let's move on to the next one, the controlling family. In a controlling family, there's heavy-duty shame because the fix is to make everything look perfect on the outside. So there's a fake, there's a big fake, a social fake going on from the get-go. 
The parents are rigid in rules, ideas, and stances, and the children are not allowed to express things like self-awareness or um, variations on the family law. Um, there's authoritative commentary, but few discussions. They come to believe, the children come to believe that they only have value if they are obedient and mimic if they fake it well. If they mimic what the parent wants them to be, they may be valuable. But because those perfectionistic ideals are held above their heads, they rarely meet those. So again, they fall by the wayside and think they have little value. Um, I, I hate to bring it out, but controlling families and suicide, their suicide rates are higher in a family like this. Be some addiction, uh, the slow path of suicide, becoming addicted to chemicals, higher in a controlling family. Somebody who understands this family maybe was told, you will sit at this table until you eat all that broccoli on your plate. Or the angry parents, I'll give you something to cry about. Or maybe just a disinterested parent, don't speak unless you're spoken to, kind of thing. But the family number two, the controlling family, sets us up for shame and false beliefs that are pretty deep inside us. How about the next family, number three, the enmeshed family? Who am I without my family? That's what comes out of this. That's the cry of the individual that was raised in that household. Since I'm not separate at home, how can I stand alone in the world is their question. Um, the whole family shares the shame. <laughs> children are happy when mom is happy. And if mom is sad, then the children are depressed. The family roles become the sense of self. And people like this grow up lacking personal power. The parents share their struggles with their children way too much. It's like emotional incest. And, and sometimes uh, the victim is created but they think it's their fault. They weren't there enough for the parent. Um, the thinking in the enmeshed family is that what is yours is mine and vice versa. So boundaries are non-existent. So when the, the person goes into the regular society and meets a boundary, they fall apart because they don't know boundaries. They, or at least the boundaries they've ever known were really fuzzy. This is with when your parents attach to children in unhealthy ways. Uh, this is when you're supposed to be loyal to the family, even when loyalty isn't earned. This is when individual identity is not modeled, so it's not experienced, so it's not learned. It's never learned. The enmeshed family has a lot of uh, problems that come out of it. There are some things like... Um, there may be an, uh, an incest problem that is never spoken about. Um, I knew a woman once from an enmeshed family whose uncle had um, sexually assaulted her when she was young, and the family never talked about it, though they knew it happened. It just, they, they smoothed it out by, you know, sticking together and keeping the secret. Okay, the fourth family that we talk about with shame is the abusive family. And this household generally holds the deepest family shame because fear 
is the king of the castle. And fear is expressed as emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. Children from an abusive family home have a deep, deep sense of worthlessness. As adults, somebody who was raised in this scenario will re-experience worthlessness when they fail. Even if they fail at something small. When they lose something. Even if it's something small. Or if they're a party to aggression. If somebody raises their voice to them, boom, they, they fail. That's it. They're... they're worthlessness resurfaces you know emotional abuse can be ridicule punishment put downs sarcasm the older stronger ones in the family in the sibling lineup will intimidate the younger ones because they learned how to from their own parents you know spankings hitting threats withholding meals um degrading and physically demanding chores, uh, punishments that are way beyond a child's age. Healthy children don't distinguish themselves from their bodies. <laughs> so when you attack a body of a child, it devalues their core being. The sexual abuse is hard to talk about, and so people don't. That's a problem. This is one of the deepest to evoke shame, because the perpetrator... There's usually one perpetrator, though not always, and there is they teach the child that there's some form of complicity, and there may be complicity in the family. There may be someone who could help, but doesn't want to see it so that they don't. The statistics say that one in three women have been sexually abused, and one in seven men. So... Look where your sex organs are. You can see where you're invaded. It's the core of the person. Um, it's it, it could be overt or subtle. It could be a father talking about his daughter's development in a subtle way, but it, that's sexually abusive to her. That's That's not a common or healthy conversation. It could be a sibling... Uh, that's threatened by physical abuse if the victim tells. So they f are forced to protect the abuser, having a shared secret. That That is shame in the making. Um, Self-sabotage happens every time the shame is felt by the abused one. So the person who has been shamed believes themselves to be seriously flawed or without self-worth. They fight or flee this feeling, and repercussions follow. We've been talking about shame today, shame in the family home. If it's something you have experienced, you're not alone. Don't be afraid to talk about it. You need to get some help. You need to talk to a therapist. You need to find a counselor that understands, and you need to unravel the tangled web of family lies that happened in your childhood. You could be in your 60s or 70s, but it's still affecting you if you've never dealt with it. Shame and the family. It's a hardcore issue. We're going to talk in the next podcast about some of the repercussions that can happen when family shame is a common denominator. Listen to part two, if you will.
It's time to take addiction out of the shadows and shine the encouraging light of recovery on everyone affected. Good Seed Podcast is powered by BethWE.com, a nonprofit ministry based in Vero Beach, Florida. We'll start the uncomfortable conversations that turn despair into hope and complacency into action. Connect, communicate, and thrive with us. Check us out online at BethWE.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk again soon.